Hi to everybody. Welcome to everybody. Welcome over in the venue. Thank you, Pastor Joel and Pastor Tim for leading over there and um, all of you again online that are watching the hundreds. We literally have hundreds and hundreds of people that watch online and if you're listening on the radio, um, we're glad that you're with us. Hey, real quickly, let me tell you what's happening around here uh, during what we call as a holy week, okay, leading up to Easter. On Wednesday night, the the 16th, the Wednesday before Easter, which is in a few weeks, we're having what we're, what we're calling the upper room kind of experience in here. And what we're going to do is we're going to recreate what took place in the upper room. And so what will happen is we'll come together and we'll sing some songs together. Uh, we'll have communion together. And then we're going to do what Jesus did in that upper room. He got up, he put a towel around his waist, and he washed his disciples' feet. And so what will happen is we'll have a, a section over here uh, for just the guys, a section over here for just gals. We'll have a section for those of you that are married, families. And uh, everybody will wash one other person's feet. You'll pair up and, you know, you'll wash each other's feet. And the, the whole thing takes, it, it's kind of like a Thanksgiving dinner, ladies. You know how you take hours and hours and hours and hours and hours getting it all ready? Everybody sits down and boom, done in 10 minutes, right? <laughs> this is a logistical nightmare, what's going to happen on Wednesday down here, okay? Getting this thing ready and getting all the basins and all the things that we're going to need and all the towels because everybody gets one. And the whole thing doesn't take very long. But we'll show you, we'll have a time of teaching in here, and we'll demonstrate it for you in here. And it's not, it doesn't take very long, but I'll, I'll guarantee you, if you've never done it, it's pretty profound. And uh, when, when you think about it, I don't want to do that. Remember, Jesus did it. And uh, so that's Wednesday uh, night at 6.30. It runs con concurrently with our children's ministries. And then on Friday, we have what we call our Good Friday gatherings in here, and they're way different than any place else in town. We'll put a cross right in the center. We'll rearrange all of the chairs, and there's a, a gathering at noon and at 7 o'clock at night. They're both exactly alike. They're about 50 minutes long. And if you want someone to preach a sermon, then don't come here. We don't think you need another sermon. Most churches, well, every other church will do a sermon. We, we don't do that. Um, you will hear the word of God, but it's done in a very unique way. Literally, scriptures from the Old Testament all the way up through the New Testament are being read, and you're hearing them as you're just focused in on the cross. There's also communion and things. You don't, you don't want to miss it. It's really, really different, really unique, and we'd love to have you be at that. And then the weekend finally comes, and that's Easter weekend. Saturday night, we have a 4 and a 6 o'clock gathering. Sunday morning, we have a 9 and 11 o'clock gathering. At 6.30 a.m. out by the cross, we have a gathering that John Byron leads, and there's always 500 people out there, and our Spanish-speaking ministry will have a gathering out at the, um, at the school, and, and we want you, really, that, that's the gathering where you bring your friends. You bring your, your lost neighbors and, and people who, you know, you do life with, uh, your family members, the guy who cuts your lawn, who delivers your mail, who combs your hair, who cuts your nails, uh, there's all these people we interface with throughout the week, and it's uh, Easter weekend that we want you to bring them. We've asked you to be praying about that. In fact, at the end of today, we're going to spend some time um, praying for that. So anyway, that's what's happening uh, Holy Week uh, around here at Big Valley Grace, and we want you to know about it, be praying about it, and participate 
in it. Well, here's the deal. If I told you that you were going to have the opportunity to, to meet Jesus, somebody called you up and said, hey, listen, um, I'm in charge of Jesus' schedule, and he's going to come by your home, and uh, you're going to have 15 minutes with him. And in those 15 minutes, you're going to be able to ask him one question. You only get one shot at it. You get one question. And he's going to be there tomorrow, you know. And so there you were. You had the iced tea ready to go. Man, you cleaned your house. You got it all ready, right? You, you pulled the Martha, and it's all set. He's coming. And he shows up. Invite him in. You give him an iced tea. He sits down, you got one question you get to ask him. What would that be? Think about that for a second. I thought about that this week. It was hard to boil it down to just one question. Would you ask him for a new job? So some of you, maybe forget a new job, just a job, right? Nothing evil in that, nothing wicked in that. Maybe that's the thing you'd ask him for. Maybe you'd say, you know, man, Jesus, man, I need a new house. I need, a, I need a new car, or just a car, right? Some of you just go, forget a new one. I just need a car. Is that wrong with asking Jesus for that? Maybe there's some crummy habit in your life, and you would say, Jesus, would you help me overcome this? This thing's messing up my life. It's messing up my family's life, you know, or whatever. If you had the opportunity, what, what would you ask Jesus for? Well, here's the cool thing. The original 12 disciples got the chance. One day they, they came to Jesus and they asked him for something. It, it says this in Luke chapter 11. It says, one day, while Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, out of all the things they could have asked for, why did they ask for this? I mean... Think about it. The disciples watched Jesus preach the greatest sermons ever preached. But never once did they come to him and say, hey, Jesus, would you, would you teach us how to preach? I mean, we're going to go from town to town. We're going to start some churches, you know. Would you help us put together a well-formed message? I, I want you to know, I thought about that. That might be one of the questions that, you know, that I might ask him. I mean, I was going to do this for a living and all kinds of um, professionals out there will tell you all kinds of ways to preach. I know, you, you send me all the links. <laughs> uh, and all of, them, all of them are experts on how to, how to do it. <laughs> the disciples watched Jesus do miracles. He healed the sick and he raised the dead, but never once did they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you teach us how to do a miracle? They never asked him that. What they asked for was, Lord, teach us how to pray. And I, I wondered what the percentage would be in here of people who, uh, who would say, you know, I got my shot. Here's my one shot. I get to ask him for anything. And I wondered how many people at Big Valley Grace would say, hey, man, I'm so thankful for this moment. Here, here's what I want to know, Jesus. We teach you how to pray. 
Why? Why did they ask for this? Well, I think it's because they recognized that somehow prayer was the, the key to his life. I think that they knew that when Jesus prayed, stuff happened. Something changed when he prayed, when he spent time with the Father. They recognized that somehow that was the key to his preaching, if you will. That, that was kind of the, 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 the key to his life. And I want you to know, beloved, that Prayer is also the key to your life. There's, there's nothing more vital to your Christian journey than prayer. So what I want to do is, uh, I, I, I want to do my best to help you maybe get a grip on it. I think that's what the disciples were saying, is, Lord, help us get a grip on this thing called prayer. We watch you do it. You get away. You're always praying. Help us, Lord. Help us understand what it is. And to start us off, what I want to do is, I, I want to answer a, a question that I'm, I'm asked a lot of, okay? Especially by children, young people, but a lot of people, older people will ask me this. And, and the question is formed, in, you know, couched differently, but this is basically it. Pastor Rick, does God promise to answer everyone's prayers? Maybe you've asked that question or wondered that. Well, I want you to know that the answer is no. God doesn't answer the prayers of everybody. In fact, the Bible tells us that God completely ignores the prayers of some people. Why? Why would God not listen to some people's prayers? Well, there's lots of reasons, but, but let me give you a couple. Here's a big one. The Word of God says this in Proverbs chapter 28. God detests the prayers of a person who ignores the law. God detests the person who ignores his word, to be a, a modern day translation. If you make the choice, and it, and it is a choice, to say, you know what, I don't want to follow God's thoughts, his rules, his commands, his word, his law. I don't want to do that. You can make that choice, but it comes with a consequence. And that consequence is, is when you pray, when you talk with him, he detests that. And probably, if you think about it, that makes some sense. I mean, here you are praying to God, asking God for things, and you don't even follow his word. That is kind of detestable, isn't it? By the way, if you come to me, you go into the altar room and meet up with one of our spiritual leaders, you go to somebody else and you say, hey, would you pray for this in my life? God will hear my prayers. God will hear the prayers of an elder or somebody else. But he knows that we're asking it on your behalf and don't think he's going to answer it because I pray for it. <laughs> you, you, you can't trick God like that. I don't want to follow his word. I don't want to follow his law. Rick, would you pray for this for me? And I will. I'll pray because I, I don't know what's going on in your life. God will hear my prayer. He just isn't going to answer it because of how you've chosen to live your life. 
Psalms 66 puts it this way. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. You don't have to be a, 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 a theologian to, to get this, right? You've got a half a cell working in your brain, and this is pretty simple. God, God makes this super simple. Look, if you choose to disobey God, if you choose to live a sinful life, he's not going to listen to your prayers. You can pray, but I might be saving some of you just a lot of time. Why, why pray? If you're going to just make the choice, blow God and his word off, don't, don't even waste your time. Go do something else. You've got plenty of time. Go play another round of golf. Go, go play some more tennis. Well, watch another episode of I Love Lucy. Do anything because you're just wasting your breath. You're wasting your time. According to the word of God. God said this to the great prophet Isaiah, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he's turned away, and he's not going to listen anymore. And there are lots of passages I, 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 could, uh, I could share with you. 1 Peter chapter 3 says, if a man causes a, a hurt in the heart of his woman, God will not hear his prayers. There's all kinds of passages that tell us why God won't listen to your prayers. In fact, let me tell you something. Uh, a lot of people call us and say, will you anoint uh, me with oil or anoint my husband or wife or child with oil and do what James chapter 5 says and pray for them. Maybe they've got cancer. Or maybe there's a, you know, a, a lump where there's not supposed to be a lump or wh whatever it might be. And so we always gather in the altar room, the spiritual leaders of the church, the elders and, and that. And before we ever pray for the, the, the lump or the tumor or the cancer, we always begin by asking the person we're going to pray for, is there any sin in your life? Is there anything that would stop God from hearing your prayers or our prayers? We always begin there. And then we don't end at that moment. Then we go around to the elders and the pastors. Is there anything in our lives, any sin that would cause God not to listen to our prayers? We always deal with that first. Because God cares way more about your holiness and your righteousness than, than he does about the, the, the tumor or the, or the cancer or whatever it is we're praying for. God, God cares about those things. Listen to me. God cares about them. God wants us to pray for those things. And I've seen God do miracles. I've seen God answer our prayers. But we always begin by looking at the life of the person we're praying for and our own lives. Now, some of you are thinking, man, Pastor Rick, how can I keep all of God's commands? I mean, nobody's perfect. How, how can I ever have my prayers answered? And I want you to know, beloved, that God knows you can't be perfect. There was only one perfect person, and that was, that was Jesus. But he does expect that you'll obey. And obedience is, 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 a, is an attitude of the heart. It's an attitude that says, I, I want to do what's right. I want, I, I want to follow the, the, the Lord. I want to follow what his word says. And maybe I can explain it by, by, by telling you a story. If my 10-year-old, I have a son, he's 10. His name is Cade. If I say, Cade... Uh, I want you to go to your room, and I want you to clean your, your room, okay? In other words, I've given him a very clear command, like the Bible. The Bible gives very clear commands. Um, 
uh, ideas, thoughts, uh, rules, if you will. And I give my son a very clear command. Okay, go to your room and clean it up. And he hops up out of the chair and he goes to his room and, and uh, you know, he picks up his dirty clothes and he throws the colored ones in the right thing and, and the white ones go in the right thing and picks up his toys or whatever and he gets it clear, cleaned up. And 30 minutes later he comes out and he says, Dad, I, I heard what you said and I did it. And so I go down to his room and when I walk in, you know, there's, there's a pair of, one pair of jeans over there and I don't know, maybe there's a toy there and something over there. In other words, he didn't do it perfectly. Am I going to get upset? No. My 10-year-old went in and gave it his best shot. He picked up most of the stuff. He got most of his toys picked up. He rearranged his desk as best as he could. He did a pretty good job for a 10-year-old. In fact, guys, we're all adults. How, how, how well do we do when our wives ask us to pick up stuff? Amen, brother. <laughs> I need to wish my wife would figure that out. I know. We, we don't do it perfectly. Now, let me change this thing. I tell Kate, Kate, you need to go to your room, and my command, my rule, my whatever it is, I want you to go clean up your room. And he goes trotting down to his room, and 30 minutes later, I go down to his room, and all the clothes are all laid out, the toys are all laying around, his desk is still a mess, and he's playing Xbox and, I don't know, watching TV or uh, watching, you know, movies or whatever he's doing. Now am I going to be upset? Oh, you better believe it. I was very clear in my instructions to him, go clean your room. Very clear. I'm not looking for perfection. I'm looking for an attitude that says, I want to do what's right. I, I want to I do what you say, Dad. And when I see my son run down there and pick up this and throw that away and do this, and it's not going to be perfect. That's what I'm looking for. God doesn't expect us to be perfect, Christian. He doesn't expect us to do everything just right because we can't. But he does expect that we would have an attitude of obedience. And hopefully that, that makes some sense to, to you. So let me ask you a question. Are there things that you know God would say are wrong, but you're doing them anyway? Just want you to think for a moment. Are there some things, and I know some of you are so young in the Lord, you, you don't know all that the book has to say. You don't know all of God's thoughts and commands. And I, I'm not talking about the things you don't know. I'm talking about the things you do know. Are there things that you know? The father's told you go clean up the room. And you're going, I'm not doing it. I don't like it. If I do that, then you know I won't get invited to the next party. Then if I do that, someone's going to call me a name. I'm not going to do that. If there is something in your life that you know you're doing that's contrary to God's word, according to the word of God, God's not going to answer your prayers. And you might as well do something else with your time than pray. That in and of itself, my friends, is a pretty weighty thought I just left you with. I could have shown you all kinds of scriptures that say the same thing over and over and over again. 
Proverbs chapter 21 says this, if you refuse to listen to the cry of the poor, your own cry for help, your own prayers for help will not be heard. Well, but if you as an individual or us as a church don't care about the poor, you don't, you don't care about helping those that are less fortunate than you are, God, God says he isn't going to listen to you when you cry out. He's just not going to do it. One of the reasons why I think God has you know, kept his hand on this church for such a long time, despite some crummy moments, is because of our great love for the poor, how much we care for the poor. If you're visiting with us, we have a ministry called Good Sam out here, where literally 250 new families every month were helping with groceries, and a very small percentage of those people go to Big Valley Grace. They either go to other churches or they don't even know the Lord but because they're made in the very image of God, because God created them, and God went to a cross and died for them, even though they didn't believe in him. If God can go to a cross and die for people who didn't believe in him, then I, I can give them a, a, a bottle of water. <laughs> Some people just struggle with that. So many Christians just struggle with that idea. So Jesus could give up his life for someone who wasn't a believer, but I can't give you a bottle of water? How weird is that? No, I'll give you bottled water and I'll give you food. Jesus gave his life. And this is a church that cares deeply about the poor. We're engaged in, 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 the, in, in the life of our city in, in great ways, helping the poor. And obviously, you know, you could have everybody fed well and they all die and go to hell. The greatest need that people have is to know Christ, that they would go to heaven, but it's unbelievable what happens when you give somebody a bottle of water who's thirsty. They care a little bit more about your God that you want to talk to them about. When someone's belly is empty and they don't have any food, when you fill their belly up with food, they're way more apt to be open to the God that you say that you love and serve. And a lot of people come to faith in, in Christ out, out there. So let me ask you a question. Do you have a heart for the poor? They care about those that are less fortunate than, than, than you. Second uh, Chronicles chapter seven says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Beloved, humility Seeking after God, turning from evil and, and running towards righteousness or, or holiness are things that matter to God. <laughs> yes, God's a God of love. And I love talking about this, this God of love. But don't be mistaken. God is looking at us and and these are some of the conditions that God is looking for in our lives if he's going to answer our prayers, this idea of, of, of living humbly before the Lord, understanding our place before God, that he's the, he's the creator, he's the king, and we're but his subjects, we're his servants, you see. This idea of seeking after him, turning from evil and, and living holy. These are some of the conditions, if you will, that God is looking for before he answers anybody's, you know, prayers. Luke 18 is another great story that we need to consider when it comes to prayer. 
Jesus told this story. He said two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, a religious leader, and the other was a tax collector, in other words, a sinner. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I'm not a robber. I'm not an evildoer. I'm not an adulterer. Or even like that loser, that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get, you know. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even really go into the, 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 the church, so to speak. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man, rather than the other one, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts, exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Beloved, God, God doesn't listen to the prayers of the arrogant he doesn't. You can talk to him all day long, and if you don't have a, a sense of humility about your life, it's just kind of wasted time. So all this to say that God has laid out some conditions that have to be met if he's going to answer your prayers, okay? In fact, one of the things you need to do before you ever ask God for things is, is to examine your own life, and I talked about this a little bit. Psalms 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out to me anything that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. And the thought there is this, is that there's a moment when you just get with God and say, God, look, <laughs> It isn't, hey, God, would you kind of check out my life and see if there is anything offensive? No. He already knows what those things are that offend him. He knows those things that you, you, you choose not to be obedient in. He knows what they are. That's just a time when you say, God, would you reveal them to me? Because, God, I, I want to follow you. And would you reveal to me those things that just offend you? And by the way, there are things that offend God, Christian. You can live in such a way that you offend God. Yes, he loves you. But you can choose to blow off his word, blow off what he says, and the, the Bible says it's offensive to him. And... He's not going to listen to your prayers. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to shift gears here real quick, and, and I want to kind of um, help us get a grip on, on, the, on the purpose of prayer, why we pray. And this isn't a comprehensive list, okay? These are just a couple of things that I want to share with you that I hope are, are going to be a blessing to you. For some of you, what I just shared, <laughs> some of you just heard from the Lord. And the greatest thing you could do is walk out here saying, you know what, I'm living a life that's offensive to God. Let me talk about prayer. Prayer is a way that uh, you, you stay surrendered to God. It's a way that you keep your life in check. Jesus said this in John 15. He said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man or a woman remains in me, if, if they stay surrendered to me, if they're, they're, they live humbly before me, if they, if they seek me, if they turn from evil and run towards righteousness, so to speak, and I in him, 
that person will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, if you're not surrendered to me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and are burned. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, if you stay surrendered to me, you live humbly before me, you seek me, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Jesus gives us this awesome illustration of a plan. He says, I'm, I'm like a, a vine, and, and you Christians are like the branches. And if you stay connected to me, you'll bear much fruit. If you, if you stay surrendered to me, your life will count for great things. But if you choose not to stay surrendered to me, if you choose to live contrary to my word, you really aren't going to amount to anything. Beloved, as long as the branch is connected to the vine, the branch has life. But if the branch gets cut off, it loses all of its power, loses its strength. And the same thing is true for you as a believer. If you as a Christian cut yourself off from God, you're not surrendered to God, you'll lose your strength, you'll lose the power that God has put within you, and eventually you'll simply wither and become ineffective for his kingdom. I got this plan up here. And uh, it's beautiful. Uh-oh. This is now dying. It's now been cut off from the vine. As long as it was attached, it was alive and well. Now it's dying. Oh, it still looks good though, right? It's still green. I, I could do that. And you wouldn't know. Like a lot of Christians. They're not surrendered to God. They're living in blatant sin. Might be here today amongst other Christians. You look good. You look like all the rest of the branches. But you're dying. And I don't know how long it'll take for this thing to wither up and become brown and a twig. Maybe, it'll, maybe a day, maybe two, maybe a week. I don't know, maybe a month. I don't know how long it takes, but there will come a moment when we'd all notice, ooh, it's not attached to the vine anymore. And I've been here at Big Valley Grace a long, long time, and some of these seats were taken up with people who really loved the Lord and cared about the Lord, and then there came a moment when they decided, you know what, I'm not going to surrender my life to the Lord anymore. I'm not going to live according to his word anymore. And they came. And they're not here anymore, though. They've decided that sin was a better life. Now here's where this illustration kind of goes awry. I can't jam this back into that, that vine. I can't do that. But God can. And one of the things that prayer is, is a moment where you come before God and you humble yourself before him and you seek him and you understand who you are in terms of in relationship with who he is. And when you surrender yourself to God, when you re-surrender yourself to God, or what we might call uh, rededicate your life, repent of some sin, he's able to kind of graft you back in. He can, he, he can put you back in. 
I can't put this back in, so this illustration ends at this moment. But this is some of you. This is some of you right now. I've been this. I can't even tell you how many times I've done that. I knew what God's word said. I knew I was to treat others the way God, you know, uh, uh, treated me or how I'd want to be treated. I, I know what God says about, you know, watching what you say. Don't let any crummy things come out of your mouth. I know, but I chose to blow God off anyway. I didn't care. There came a moment where I had to repent of my sin. I didn't want my prayers to be hindered, and God was able to put me back onto the vine. See, one of the biggest problems we as human beings have is we think we can do everything ourselves. We're very independent, and it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter th 3. We go about thinking you know, to ourselves, man, I don't need to pray because I got it all together. I've got a great education. I got a lot of money in the bank. You know, why do I need to pray? Listen, one of, the, one of the great reasons people don't pray is because of the cost. It costs honesty. So you can't come and fake God out. You can get in a prayer meeting with other people and you can say all the right things and do all the right things in front of everybody else and we all walk away going, wow, that was unbelievable. But God knows this. He knows whether you're really humbled before him when you understand who he is compared to you. He knows whether you truly have an attitude or a heart of obedience. He knows. And one of the great things about prayer, when you just get alone with God, wow, it costs you honesty. That's why I think praying alone is a, a far weightier thing. Because in a group, you can try to fake everybody out, but when you're alone with God, it's just you and him. <laughs> and that, that, that's, a, that's a whole nother, nother, nother deal. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter six. He said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. Live surrendered to him. Live humbly. Live, live seeking his will. Turn from evil. Run towards righteousness. Run towards holiness. And if you do that, he says, man, I'll give you everything you need. Everything you need. Psalms 84 says, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk blameless. He doesn't hold anything back from those that are surrendered to him. He doesn't hold anything back from those that are living humbly before him, that are seeking him, that are turning from evil, if you will, and running towards righteousness. But once you do this, all bets are off. Number two, and this is where we get real practical. I'm going to race through these here. Prayer is a, a way you, you, you talk with God. Yes, it's a moment of surrender. It's a moment where you go, God, here I am. And I understand who you are, and I'm coming humbly before you. I'm seeking you, God. But it's also a way that you talk with him. 
All throughout the Bible, we see God's people having conversations with him. Adam and Eve, Noah, Moses, Abraham, Gideon, David, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Mary, Paul, Peter, John. All throughout the Bible, God's people prayed. They were having conversations with God. And it's how you as a follower of Jesus talk with God. It's how you communicate with God. And I want you to know it's super important. Think about it. You can't understand your spouse if you don't talk with her, right? Could, could, could you imagine going a day without talking to your spouse? Or, or how about a week? Some of you haven't talked with God for over a week. Some of you haven't talked with God in a month. You know what that tells me? You don't really have a great relationship with him. What that tells me is this. This is you. You see, you've got to communicate if you're going to have a good relationship with somebody. You can't understand your children if you don't talk with them, right? You can't understand your, your, your friends if you don't ever have a conversation with them, right? And you can't fully understand God or God's will for your life unless you're, you're talking with him. Now let me come at this from a little different angle. It's difficult to talk to somebody when you're not sure about your relationship with them, right? I mean, if I, I don't know the person I'm, I'm talking with very well, the chances are pretty good that how I talk with them or what I talk with them about is gonna be somewhat limited, right? Or if I'm talking with somebody that I know doesn't like me, it's gonna change how I talk with them. It's gonna change what I talk to them about. It's going to change how open I am with them, right? I mean, that just makes some sense, right? So the, the better you know the person that you're talking with is going to dictate how the conversation is going to go. So what's our relationship with, with God? Well, listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 15 again. He said, I want you to know I don't call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master's business is. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've, been, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, fruit that would last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in, in my name. And when you read something like that, you gotta think to yourself, man, that's pretty cool. When you pray, when you talk with God, you're communicating with a friend. Yes, he's the king of kings. Yes, he's the Lord of lords. Yes, he's you know, the almighty and we're his servants. Yes, that is all true. But God wants you to understand something. He says, you're my friend too. And so when you go and you talk with him, you're talking to a friend. You're not talking to an enemy. You're, you're not talking to somebody who's ready to you know, beat you up, slap you around. He's your friend. He cares deeply about your life. He, 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 he cares about what's happening in your life. He's your friend. I think one of the things that, that keeps us as believers from conversing with God and talking with him is we really don't believe he's our friend. Listen to me. <laughs> when you have those thoughts, I want you to think about the cross. 
A lot of you have cross necklaces on right now, and you don't even know it. You just put it on. You didn't realize what you put on. You got them on your ears, right? The next time you, you're trying to figure out your relationship with God, and hey, look at the cross. We, we, we got a cross there. We, we got a cross on that sign right over there. It says the altar. We got a cross in the altar room. We got a cross out in front of the building out here. We got a cross over there in, in, in the venue. We got a cross right outside these doors in that hallway out there. There are crosses all over this place. And when you're wondering, what does God think about me? Just think about the cross. Look at the cross. The cross is one of those great symbols that says God cares about you. That's why we're living in a time when the world is doing everything it can to get the symbol of the cross out of our culture. The last thing the devil and the demons want is for people to look at a cross because it reminds them of a God who cared about them and loves them. And so we're living in a time when, man, you put a cross up anywhere, man, and the world's going to come at you. You look at that cross on your neck and let that cross be something that motivates you to go, wow. The God I'm going to go talk to right now cares deeply uh, 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 about me. Number three. Prayer is is a way we ask God for things. And by the way, this is the one we're really good at, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one. We, American Christians, man, we just nail this one. We get an A+. Philippians chapter four says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Pray about everything. Pray about where you're gonna go on your vacation. Pray about your children. Pray about your business. Pray, pray, pray about anything. It doesn't matter what it is. Talk with God about whatever it is. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Beloved, one of the great purposes of prayer, talking with God, is that that's how we get to ask God for things. And as I said, this is one of the things that we do really well. As believers, we go to him and ask for things. But you remember, you've got to make sure your life is okay. You've got to be surrendered to God. That's where it starts. I want you to know that the Bible does teach that there are some things that God promises to do for you that he'll only do if you ask him to do it. In other words, there are some things that God will withhold from you if you don't ask him to do it. Let me give you one of the big ones. God won't forgive you of your sin unless you ask him to forgive you of your sin. If you don't ask God to come into your life, if you don't ask Jesus to come into your life and forgive you of your sins, you know what? He won't do it. In fact, if you don't want Jesus in your life, listen to me, He will honor that to the degree that when you die, he'll make sure that you're not with him. If you don't want him now, if you say, I don't want Jesus in my life, then God says, okay, I'll make sure that I honor that request throughout all of eternity. Now, if you do want Jesus in your life, 
If you do recognize how, how sin has kind of goofed up your life and separated you from the Father and that there's nothing you can do to, 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 to cleanse your life of sin other than the, the blood of Jesus Christ, and you say, God, come into my life, guess what he'll do? He'll come into your life. In fact, he'll come into your life and he'll stay in your life even when you take your last breath here on planet Earth. You'll spend your eternity with him forever. See, God, in a lot of ways, is a gentleman. If you don't want him in your life, then he won't come into your life. You won't ever be with him. And that's your choice. I made the choice that I wanted him in my life. I asked him to come in my life. Some of you have never done that. And he won't force himself onto you. He did bring you here today because he cares about you. And you've heard some truth. For some of you, what you need to do is ask God to come into your life today. Jesus said this in John chapter 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that everyone who believes in him, in other words, you, you, you have to believe in him. If you don't believe in him, he, he, he's not going to come into your life. James chapter 5 says, when a believing person prays, great things happen. And that word believing right there I think is the key. It's not anybody who prays. It's the believing person. It's the person who's surrendered themselves to God. It's the, the person who's attached to the, to the vine. It's the person who's, who's dealt with their sin. It's the person who says, God, I've humbled myself before you. I'm seeking you. I'm turning from evil, God. I'm running after holiness. I believe, I believe, God, when a believing person prays, great things happen. And the reason why great things happen is because you're talking with God, and he loves you, and he cares about you. You're one of his children, and he longs to answer your prayers. And he can answer your prayers. And that's what I want us to do right now. I just want us to t take our, the last few minutes we have, and, and I just want you to close your eyes. Over in the venue, just, just close your eyes for, for a moment here. I don't want anybody leaving. I don't want anybody going anywhere. I just want you to be quiet for just a moment here. Don't worry about who's next to you. Don't worry about your spouse. Don't worry about your kids who's sitting next to you or your boyfriend or whatever, girlfriend. Just be alone with God for a moment. And I want you just to take a second and just quietly talk to God about your life. 